What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Friday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you. Less than 48 hours from a meeting with the Jacksonville Jaguars. 3-3 three and three on both sides. Tennessee Titans also 3-3. Three and three. The three teams, well, three's the theme, tied for first place in the AFC South. Interesting about this weekend, though, is that the Titans will be playing in London and that game will start at 9.30 out when we're in Jacksonville, 8.30 here. We'll know by the time kickoff comes whether this matchup with Jacksonville will be for sole possession of first place. Now, the Titans play the Chargers, which is not going to be easy. The Chargers are six-and-a-half-point favorites. So the Chargers could do us a little bit of a favor and turn the Titans to three and four, and hopefully those 11 sacks last week against Baltimore are a thing – to come for a sign of things to come for the uh, Chargers. They won't have Joey Bosa, but hopefully they got enough pass rush to make life miserable for Marcus Mariota. So we got plenty on the show for you tonight. We got a little Whitney Merciless coming up in our next segment. Our Deep Slant interview of the week is with DP Sidhu each and every week. And this week it is Whitney Merciless. And yet he's actually speaking French Creole. Yeah, imagine that. And he teaches DP a little something with that. Give you my keys to the game. And then, of course, we've got the game plan with Brian Gain, general manager for your Houston Texans, talking about all the things happening in his world, which obviously bleeds into the personnel, scouting, all that kind of stuff, and the 53-man roster, who's going to be up and active on Sunday, all that kind of stuff. So Brian will talk about that with Mark Vandermeer. I'll give you my around the NFL, which you know how I do it. I make the picks. I pick all the games. I believe there are 13 games, not counting last night, a dominating performance by the Denver Broncos defense, a couple of pick sixes, sent Josh Rosen you know, to the, I don't want to say to the hospital, but to the training room. Josh Rosen now walking around in a boot. Mike McCoy, offensive coordinator of the Cardinals, he is out as of this morning. Yikes. Rough stuff going on in Arizona after the difficult night against the Denver Broncos defense. So that was last I missed that one. I don't know why I picked Arizona, but I did. Ah, I can't believe I did that, but I did. Either way, I got the next 13. I got those right. I know that for sure. So you definitely want to stay tuned for my picks. And then segment six is about the players. It's our player segment. So we get to know Lamar Miller. We got player reporter sponsored by Arctic, Kareem Jackson. And KJAC TV has taken off. I actually heard Mark Berman of Channel 26, our good friend, ask Jonathan Joseph about being on KJAC TV. In a little media scrum, he asked him, Man, it's taken off. And then the final word with Drew Doherty this week is going to be with Justin Reed, the rookie, who has done a excellent, an excellent job at safety alongside Tyra Matthew, alongside Kareem Jackson. Those three have been valued members of this defense. And Justin Reed, as a rookie, has come in and given this Texans team everything they've wanted and then some. So really excited about what that man has brought to the fray, and he will be with Drew Doherty for our final word. So we got plenty to do, so let's get it started with our Hot Reads. Hot Reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And we always start each and every Friday with the head coach of your Houston Texans, Bill O'Brien, who sat down with Mark Vandermeer earlier today. Coach, this is a huge game with the Jaguars. I know every week is big, but you're back in the division for the division lead, and I know the guys have to notice this kind of thing happening. Yeah, I think this is kind of why you play, why you coach, you know, for games like this. It's uh, 
you know, a midseason game, a divisional game against a really good opponent, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough football game, and, and we have a lot of respect for them, but uh, this is kind of why you play and why you coach, no doubt about it. I know field position is huge. The numbers bear it out that you are so much better in drive start and so much better in defensive series start this year as yeah. opposed to previous years, and that's going to come up big today. Yeah, that is big. I think I think that the beginning of the game will tell a lot about the game. I think, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be a very ex- uh, jacked-up environment. Uh, their crowd will be into it, and we've got to handle that, and we've got to be able to, you know, be aggressive and be smart and, and come out of this thing you know, weathering the storm early on, no doubt about it. In their losses, the opponent has gotten a bunch of carries, and I know a lot of things go into that kind of thing, but I know you want to run the football as usual. I think we have to be balanced. We have to go into the game thinking that we'll, we'll be balanced. Uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, we, we're always going to try to do what's best to win the game but as the game plays out. But, but we always go in thinking about, look, we've got to be, we've got to be balanced. We can't be a one-dimensional football team. You look at them differently at home than on the road because obviously they perform better in their own building. I kind of look at everybody different, yeah. you know, relative to that. I think that's a good question. I think I think winning on the road in the NFL is very difficult, and I think that uh, you know whatever it is, you know, when you're the home team, you, you, you've got a better routine, you know, uh, all those things. And and when you're the road team, you know, you're a little bit out of your routine, and you've got to go in there and, and you've got to be very focused, mentally focused. You got to ignore the noise and really. Uh, really focus on doing your job. We've had a really good week of practice. You know, we've had a really our best week of practice. So I'm hoping, you know, that that really is what shows up on on game day. How hard is it to predict what they might do offensively? They have a lot of injuries, so they're changing things up, trying to adjust. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, just like uh, they're dealing with injuries, you know, a lot like everybody. You know, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see who's active for them and, and how they decide to approach the game. You know. You know, re- relative to Fournette, Jamal Charles, you know, the tight end situation for him. We'll have to see basically before the game, uh, based on their, their uh, inactives, how we think they may play the game. But right now, you know, we know that they're, they're going to try to establish the line of scrimmage, try to run the football. That's what they always do. And then, uh, you know, we've got to do a great job of stopping a run. All right, final keys to victory in this one. I think, again, it's going to come down to, you know, when when they create turnovers on defense, uh, you know, they've got a really, really good record under Doug Marone. I mean, I think they're 10-3 and three when they win the turnover battle. So we, we've got to do a great job of taking care of the ball. That's going to be big. We did not do that last week, and we've got to do a great job. We've got to try to take the ball away from them. And then I think it's going to come down to, again, who runs the ball the best and who plays the best on special teams. You know, they do a great job on special teams. They have a number of different ways that they attack you. They have a lot of gadgets, different things that they do. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a battle in all three phases. Good stuff there from your head football coach, Bill O'Brien, there with Mark Vandermeer. All right, let's move on to our next hot read, and that is a little bit of news from the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars have made a trade. They have traded a fifth-round pick to the Cleveland Browns for Carlos Hyde. Now, it's Friday. I would imagine he's got to pass a physical. I wouldn't imagine that Hyde could be ready to go on Sunday, but I I don't know. He's at least, you know he's going to be in football shape. And I know the Jaguars went out and signed Jamal Charles during the week, and he played on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys last week. Now, that becomes really... Boy, I don't know what to expect from this as far as Hyde goes. I, I wouldn't think we're going to see him. Wouldn't have any time to learn a playbook. Maybe he knows about four or five plays. I have no idea. Maybe he's able to pick up some of it. And I don't know if there's any way 
to get him on the roster for this? I don't know. That's an interesting one. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But Carlos Hyde, now a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you remember last year, the Jaguars made a deal for Marshall Darius. At about this time, I think it was about this time last year with the Buffalo Bills. He's kind of fallen out of favor with the new Bills staff. And Doug Marone had some experience with him when he was the Buffalo head coach. And said, come on, come on down. So Marcel Darius was added to the Jaguars' defensive front. Carlos Hyde, I don't know if he's got any experience or any – I don't think he's got any time with this current Jaguar staff, but Jaguars thought they had an opportunity, and so they gave up a fifth-rounder to go get Carlos Hyde. Now, that becomes important, and there's a reason for that as we get to our injury report. So we're going to start with Jacksonville with that news right there because the Jacksonville report is, well, it's been about the same. James O'Shaughnessy is out at tight end, DJ Hayden out at corner. So we'll see Tyler Patman at nickel, and we will see a gaggle of tight ends that nobody knew about because the Jaguars have now lost the tight end, Niles Paul, Austin Safarian Jenkins, and James O'Shaughnessy. So the Jaguars are probably going to play Blake Bell, yeah, the belldozer, and we also see David Greenwich. Those are the two tight ends the Jaguars have. They will also be without Leonard Fournette. For I believe this is the fifth straight week he's going to be out. Hence the move for Carlos Hyde. Now, the Eagles are up on the schedule next for the Jaguars. And there's a thought that the they won't be able to get Fournette back for that one either. So they make the deal for Hyde. Don't know if he's going to play, but Fournette out of this one for the Jacksonville Jaguars. For your Houston Texans, we knew Aaron Colvin and Brian Peters probably going to be out. They are out. Also going to be out for the Texans, Sharice Wright at corner and Ryan Griffin at tight end. Wright with about three different things he's dealing with. Ryan Griffin with illness. First day he was out of practice was today, but he is declared out of this one at Jacksonville. And Sharice Wright out. So four players out for your Texans. Griffin, and you can sort of see Wright going in the opposite direction. He was full participant on Wednesday, limited on Thursday. And then today he was completely at DNP. That gets him out. That makes the corner situation, well, dicey to say the least. Now with Griff, he came up sick today. He is out. Hopefully he's going to be okay and get back. But that leaves Jordan Akins and Jordan Thomas, two rookies, manning the tight end spots. And that leaves that corner a question mark. More than likely, Kareem Jackson will step over there for Sharice Wright when they go nickel. That could mean Johnson Batamosi. That could mean Kareem stays on the outside and they play a little bit more of the safeties. Maybe Mike Tyson gets on the field at safety. They've got some concerns at safety and at corner, and how they go about it, we'll find out. Natrell Jamerson can play some safety, and he can play some corner. A.J. Moore can play some corner. There are a lot of different things they can do. It's just maybe what you don't want to do, but you've lost Kevin Johnson to IR, Kayvon Webster to IR, Aaron Colvin's out with the ankle issue, and now Sharice Wright is out with a number of different things going on. Yeesh. This is not what you wanted going down to Jacksonville. So, a lot of moving parts in this one. Fournette out. Cam Robinson, left tackle's already been out. The Jaguars are without three tight ends. They got two guys that weren't even on the roster at the beginning of the year at tight end. Clayus Campbell is questionable. Zach Fulton, questionable. So, the one guy that gave the Texans more issues than anybody last year was Clayus Campbell. He's questionable. He's dealing with a couple of things. Zach Fulton... Trying to get back. has not practiced all week. He's trying to get back with that ankle issue. He suffered that probably, I think, on the first scoring drive. That's when I remember seeing it. And he fought through the rest of that game. Ankles can be, eh, you never know. Can make it, 
Sometimes you can't. Just all depends. From week to week. Sometimes you can get through a game and it can be awful. The next week, you're out completely and can hardly even walk. So it can be it can be difficult and we'll see what Zach is able to do. All right, there you go. Those are your hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, it's our Deep Slant interview of the week with DP Sidhu. This week, it is Whitney Merciless. Stay tuned for that next Texans All Access. Here's the punt, and it's blocked. And the Texans chase it to their left, picked up by Scarlett, and he's brought down inside the 25-yard line. The Texans blocked the punt, and they've got the ball in Buffalo territory. And that is our Choose Fun Moment of the Week brought to you by Carnival. Don't forget to enter for your chance to win a cruise every week when the Texans catch a touchdown. Not if, when. They've done it all year long. Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans. Choose Fun. Great job there by Terrell Adams. Guy that doesn't get any time really on defense, but you've seen Terrell Adams. You've seen Joe Webb, Johnson Batamosi. You've seen uh, A.J. Moore. You've seen Latrell Jamerson. You've seen guys on special teams and solely on special teams. Buddy Howell, a great tackle and forced fumble on the opening kickoff of the game. Guys that have really made an impact on special teams. So that is your Choose Fun Moment of the Week. Terrell Adams with the block. Brent Scarlett picking it up and getting a few yards with the return. All right. Welcome back to the show. Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And it's time for me to hand off to one of my good friends, D.P. Sidhu, for our Deep Slant interview of the week. This week, it's our good friend, Whitney Merciless. Now, Whitney's been around here since 2012. He's been at Fuddruckers shows. We have had him out for Super Bowl interviews. We had him out the night we were out at the Houston Sports Awards. We've talked to Whitney. We probably know everything there is to know about Whitney. Yet, he makes for one of the best Deep Slant interview subjects because he can touch on so many different things that are going on, whether it's on the field, off the field, the restaurant, anything. And if anybody is going to get Whitney to talk about it in depth and do it with some humor, do it with some seriousness, do it with a little mix of all the emotions you could possibly have, it's going to be DP Sidhu. Our Deep Slant Interview of the Week with DP Sidhu is Whitney Merciless. DP, take it away. All right, joining me today, Whitney Merciless here inside NRG Stadium. Whitney, I just learned that you speak another language. I feel like I'm learning new things about you all the time, but you speak your parents' native language that they speak in Haiti. Yeah, Creole. 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 That's a native native tongue in Haiti. Uh, Speak to them all the time in it. Uh, just a little simple. Uh, I know you're probably gonna ask, but a little little simple word that you could say is uh, "sac paseo." What's up? Okay. And, and what would I say? You would say "mapule." Mapule. Yep. And that means. Uh, man, I'm, I'm just, terrible. Uh, no, 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 no. Means I'm real. good. Yeah, I'm good. It just means I'm good. I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm I'm, I'm on fire. That's do you it. talk to your parents in the, in in what is it Creole? Yep. Mm-hmm. How do you spell that? Yeah. Uh, C O. So C R E O L E. Oh, Creole. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you speak back to them in Creole and not mm-hmm. in English. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's something. I mean, it's like it, it's Keeps funny. You fresh. They'll say they'll speak in Creole. I'll I'll respond in uh, English or I'll speak in Creole and they'll respond. In so English that's how sometimes. my parents are. My parents yeah. talk to me in Punjabi and I talk back to them in English unless there's other people around. And yeah. I do, and then they're like, why Why are you not speaking English? Who Who's next to you? Yes, exactly. Sometimes I want my conversations to be private. Private. Yep. You know exactly. what I mean? It's, it's a nice little thing to have in your back pocket. A little more scope. <laughs> Must be nice to run into other people from Haiti and you get to just bust it out with yeah. them, right? Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It, it feels great. It's like man. 
again, I, it's refreshing to see some, you know, somebody else in my culture and uh, my like my heritage, uh, just to be, you know, out here and we get to meet up and just talk. Have a shared sometimes. language. Exactly. Well, it is great to have you back on the field as well. I didn't get to sit down with you last year because after five weeks, obviously, we all know what happened with your with your pectoral injury, and now you're back again. I feel like you came back in OTAs. Uh, before OTs even started, and you yeah. said, I'm full go, I'm ready to go. Yep. And then, you know, it was put to bed and it was put to rest. But I want to revisit back to last year. That was the worst injury that you'd probably had in your football career up until that point, correct? Yeah, most definitely. You know, for me to miss any significant amount of time, yeah, the pectoral injury, you know, put me out and all that. And, you know, it's funny, I never had anything like that. So I was like, uh, when, when I got injured, you know, asking the uh, the athletic trainers, I'm like, man, so uh, I'm going to be out only a couple of weeks. They're like, no, you're, buddy, you're actually done for the entire season. You so, didn't know. No, <laughs> not at all. Did it not feel that significant at the time? <laughs> it really didn't. It really didn't. I, You know, I had adrenaline still rushing in me and oh, things this like is, that. Oh, this is like right after the game. Oh, yeah, Garrett. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was still fresh in and, uh, you know, did – the x-ray the mris and all that and so it really came back as yeah i'm gonna be done for it you're such an optimistic upbeat person Mm -hmm. like what was your reaction i cannot even imagine you not being that but like when you found out that it was going to be season ending and it was more significant than you thought like you know what 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 was going through your head uh pretty much i'm like okay what's the next chapter what's the next road what's the next challenge for me to face in order to really overcome this and really i knew i wasn't going to be able to contribute any any kind of way on the field so what can i do is pretty much just getting my body back to full health um and just being ready for the next season and really you know helping out the guys and you know at my position uh, so you well, still stayed in the the linebacker? Were you still able to go to the meetings? And oh yeah, participate? yeah, yeah. I was still able to participate in the meetings and all that. And you know, some of the younger guys would come to me and ask questions, and you know, I'd help them out uh, any way that I could. Things that I've experienced or seen over the time that I've played. What did you learn about yourself through the whole rehab process? Oh, uh, hey, that's a good question. I learned. Uh, I feel like it's such a. Yeah. It's one of those experiences where you have to really dig deep sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, because it's they're they're going to be good days and, and yeah. bad days, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, you know, I've had bad days before, you know, in different ways, not with injuries and things like that. And so it was just a different type of uh, you know upswing or downswing that I had to deal and face with. And you know, one thing I just learned about myself is just uh, I'm like you said, I'm pretty optimistic and. Uh, I learned about myself that, you know, I really don't really get phased by these type of things. And I'm a very resilient person, you know, as far as that goes on the field as well, too. So I just ultimately I brought football on <laughs> off the field uh, in a way in my mindset in order to push forward and really get better. So the way that you conduct yourself on the field, you sort of attacked your rehab the same same Ex- sort of way. Exactly. Were you pleased with how fast you were able to get back on the field? Was that? On yeah. schedule, ahead of schedule. Yeah, I was. Uh, I thought it. I thought it was ahead of schedule. I thought. Yeah. You know, that was a pretty significant injury. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, you know, the, ah, let's see. What did they tell me? It was like, I don't know, maybe a four month process or something like that in order to really get your rehab and get back to it and stuff like that. And uh, I was on pace, if not a little bit ahead, and I was right back on OTAs, going through everything, uh, hitting. Not really thinking about the injury. You know, sometimes when you have injuries, you kind of have it in the bed, linger in the back sure. of your mind and things like that. And so, but once I came back, uh, 
I was ready. I, I was good to go. I was hitting, you know, uh, benching just fine, things like that. And also with our new coaching staff, uh, the uh, athletic tra- or the strength and conditioning staff sure. really helped me to get back in a timely manner as well. Was there any part of your – I know you have so many pass rush moves or so much that is asked of you. Was there any significant part of your game that you were most worried about that would be affected by I'd an say, injury like that? I, I feel I'd like say, you use that muscle in everything. <laughs> yeah. Like I was yeah. thinking about it after the game, and I'm like, everything – it was one of the moms, actually, in carpool. She came, she was like, pectoral injury. She's like, do you realize how much we use our pectoral muscles? And I was like, that's a really good point because yeah. you don't realize it until you're injured there, right? Exactly. Uh, and so, it, I mean, it's everything that I do on the field, you know, whether it's rushing the passer, setting the edge in the run game, uh, you know, as far as, like, making tackles, things like that. And so that's yeah, the main thing that I was concerned about was just bench pressing a guy uh, who's like 300 pounds and just setting the edge on him and making sure that thing would hold up just fine. But uh, that's been the case. I've been just fine uh, so far this season. All right. Then you had training camp and you were full go in training camp. And then you you had to take a few steps back with the hamstring. Yep. You know, what's the attitude there? How is that frustrating? I mean, I know it's just just training camp. You're (laughs) obviously back for the start of the season. They don't want to take any chances with you. But, you know, what? how do you get through something like that? Yeah, to come back and then start – and definitely having a great training camp, you know, before the uh, before the injury happened or the uh, hamstring. It, you yeah, know, we were doing of, training camp diaries with Whitney Merciless. Yeah. You were on a roll. And then it just got and then just stopped just like that. And it was just like, I you know, a little bit frustrated. It's just like, dang, I, I man, I was just on a roll. I was getting to where I was, you know, at my prowess and all that. And uh, sure enough, you know, halted short just a little bit before, uh, and it was a four-week process in order to rehab, get right, make sure the hamstring is responding just, just right so that there's no setbacks or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I really had to go back and really say the same thing. It's like, okay, it's a process, you know, attack it the same way. Stay in the meetings, understand what, what we're doing, stay locked in because by the time week one comes, you know, I got to be ready and re- be full going. Sure enough, that's exactly what I did. How much pressure do you put on yourself in those situations to be ready for week one? Ah, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, there's pressure from everybody that wants to see you on the field, but internally I have to imagine there's nothing more than the pressure you're putting on yourself. Oh, no doubt. We put pressure on ourselves, a ton of pressure on ourselves, uh, because we want to be the greatest at everything that we do. You know, I put a ton of pressure on myself in order to, you know, I want to be able to go out there and make the plays, make, uh, you know, have the production that I want to, things like that, so that, you know, I'm always looked at it as a guy from my peers and my coaches that, man, and like he's going to do his job. He's going to make plays out there. He's going to affect the game somehow, some way. And, uh, you know, when injuries happen and things like that, it's like, ah, man. Like, you want to be out there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Rome, Romeo Cornell says this year they're moving you around a lot more. They're doing a lot of different things mm-hmm. uh, with you. What's that like seven years in? Yeah. You're still learning. Yeah, still. Uh, I mean, it, it's a learning process every single Are day. Are you ever like, can I just coast a little bit? <laughs> like, I've put in my time. I just want to, you know, go out there and do my thing. Sometimes you definitely want to do that. But, you know, as far as the, as far as the games go, games go, uh, we have to be able to do give different looks, uh, not really get stuck in the same things because there's game plans that happen from our opponents. And so it's like if you put it, throw out that same – if we throw out the same game plan that we did the week before and somebody go coaches against it, it's pretty much going to hamper us and it really hurt us in a way. And so uh, I understand exactly what Rack is trying to do, um, you know, as far as different looks, uh, get guys you – know, you know, whether it's like bring three guys in a rush, have guys drop out, or, you know, four guys, five guys to rush against a quarterback, and I'm completely fine with that. Now, for me, as a player, I have to understand the game, especially when I'm dropping the coverage, 
to understand different route concepts and things like that. And that's not something that I've really taken to a whole lot before because I didn't do much of it. And so now I have to understand, hey, if I'm playing, you know, playing a cover two, cover one, I got to understand the like route beaters, uh, Tampa two beaters, things like that. And so um, honestly, it's just going out there and practice and really giving the coaches exactly what they, you know, pretty much trying to make them trusted in me so that I can go out there and go perform and be in the right place at the right time. That's exactly almost to a T what Romeo had said about you. He said, we ask him to do so much, and he just goes out there and does it. He understands what we're trying to do out there with this defense. And then, you know, I was asking Bill O'Brien about you because I know there's a lot of expectation on you and what you're able to do with this defense. And, you know, sometimes the stat sheet doesn't always reflect what right. you're able to do on the field. And so I asked him, what is it that Whitney does that you don't see on the stat sheet? And he, like, gave me a list of things. He said that you did, quote, an unbelievable job of setting the edge, stopping the run, rushing the passer, helping in coverage. Um, and he said that, you know, obviously what you do inside the locker room, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with helping other players and, yeah. uh, and all that. I, I imagine that's got to feel good. But, you know, how do you feel like your season is going so far this year? Because you've, you've, you've battled a lot of things yeah. to get back out there. <laughs> You know, but where do you feel like you're at? Yeah, uh, honestly, you know, the thing is, even though I don't feel like I have had the production that I wanted to, like I've had in the past, I'm exactly where I need to be, you know, as far as, and I feel good. Um, You know, my body feels great. I feel strong. I feel like I'm doing exactly what I need to do in order to, you know, help the team win and not really, and not compromising the defense or anything like that. And I feel like, yeah, there's some plays that I've missed and everybody, you know, misses plays and things like that, but it's, you can't always like, you know, I got to go make a play. I got to go make a play. What Rack says is do your job and then help out. So I got to do my job, make sure I make the plays that come to me, and then go help out once my, my job is secured. And that, and that's how you build that trust, that relationship with the coaches. And they understand, hey, this guy, can he understands the game. He understands exactly what's expected of him, and he will do it the right thing every single time. And so that's why I can go out there and make plays, and they trust me to like. And Rack wants to move me around, make plays in that in that sort of fashion. Well, you're also helping out off the field as well. You're doing great things with your foundation with Mercy. You've got an event coming up soon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be on November 5th. Uh, that's our Down with Mercy event, and so we'll be honoring some uh, great Houstonians uh, who do a great job in the community, uh, who really do you know give out their hearts that you know help a lot of people in need in some way or some fashion. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be re- like a ton of fun. Uh, we'll be showing, well, representing some of our uh, partners as well, too, like Easter Seals, Faces, and, and uh, also the Astros Foundation as well, too, which we're uh, working on. And, you know, just to really help out a lot of families with raising children with disabilities, uh, that's our main focus. And we rotate focuses each year. First year we did autism. This year we're doing cerebral palsy. And we're Fantastic. really yeah, we're really focusing on uh, just – the uh, the disabilities that aren't really not really heard of that much, and uh, we yeah. really focus. I need a little bit more uh, yeah. to be in the spotlight. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Some awareness. All right, good stuff, Whitney. If they want to learn more about your foundation, what's your website? You can go to withmercy.org or follow us on you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything. All right, good stuff, Whitney Merciless. Thanks so much, Whitney. Best of luck for the rest of the season. I uh, appreciate it. Oh, did you forget? Sac passe. Ma. Boule. Boule. I knew ah, I wasn't going to remember. Probably. I'll remember it now. All right. Good stuff, Whitney. Thanks so much. That is so excellent. DP Sidhu learning French Creole from Whitney Merciless. That is excellent stuff. That's why you got to listen to the Deep Slant interview every single week. And if you want to hear more, go to the Deep Slant podcast along with the In Lab podcast. That's Drew and me, me and Drew, and the uh, Vandermeer's View, which is Mark. All those podcasts, all of our all-access shows, replay, all of those are podcasted 
iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, however you get your podcasts. Go find Houston, Texas podcast, and you can hear everything that you don't get a chance to hear tonight. Maybe you're just hearing my voice going, wait, what I miss? Well, you can go hear the Texans All, Ac- All Access podcast uh, anytime that you want. So you've got – that's the great thing about growing up in today's society. You missed it. Oh, man, because you've got so many things going on. I missed this. I wish I could have seen that. I wish I could have heard that. You're totally covered. Completely. And we got you covered here. No doubt about that. All right. Speaking of covered, coming up next, we'll talk about our keys to the game. What end up being the most important aspects of this one to watch? And I don't even mention Jalen Ramsey and DeAndre Hopkins. Believe that. Yeah, they're going to be very important. There's no doubt. And it is a guilty pleasure to watch those two go against one another. But as far as importance in this game, yeah, it's important. But there are some things the Texans have got to do to make that even more of a valued piece in this game. I'll get into my keys to the game, offense, defense, and special teams next right here on Texans All Access. We're less than 48 hours away from kickoff against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Welcome back to Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter. And why do I give you that time frame? Because this matchup has and will be, it's a huge one. We knew it when the schedule came out. Mark and I talked about that and said, look, that Week 7 game, that's the one. If you can just get to that point where that Week 7 game means something and you're relatively healthy, that's going to be a fun trip down to Jacksonville. Mark has said it all week. This game against Jacksonville, it's probably the most important game the Texans and Jaguars have, have played in quite some time, if not ever. The Texans have had a couple of division ceiling wins against Jacksonville. 2015, they had one on the final day where J.J. just went crazy again. Cream Jacks had the pick six, beat the Jaguars up 36. In 2016, that had come from behind here against the Jags. That didn't seal the division, but it sealed the fate of Gus Bradley as the head coach. The next week, the Jaguars with Doug Marone as interim head coach at the time beat the Titans, which allowed the Texans to beat the Bengals that night, Christmas Eve night, to win the AFC South. But the Texans and Jags have never played at this point that I can remember for at any any possession of first place. And we'll know a little bit more about this one because the Chargers will play the Titans at 8.30 in the morning. Now it'll be 9.30 if you're in Jacksonville, but it'll be 8.30 in the morning here because they're playing in London. So the Chargers are favored by 6.5 in that one. And I got a feeling the Chargers are going to win. We got my picks later on in the show. So that 6.5 point spread should tell you something. The Titans gave up 11 sacks last week, so there's that against the Chargers' pass rush and defense, which could be pretty tough. So go Chargers. Get a win. And we'll know by the time we kick off whether this one is going to be for sole possession of first place, which makes it even more important. So let's get into our keys to the game here. This week's first community credit union first glance keys to the game brought to you by FCCU. First community credit union, the official, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. All right, let's start on the offensive side of the ball with our keys. Number one is number 91. And if you've watched the Jaguars over the past few years, you're, you know the names. You know Leonard Fournette. You know Jalen Ramsey. You know A.J. Boye. You know, you know the names. But you might only know the number of number 91, and that's Yannick Ngakwe. To me, Yannick Ngakwe is the guy that can change this game. In game one last year, he had two, I believe it was two sacks, two and a half sacks, and they were both strip sacks, and they were huge. And they came off the right side, and he just jumped all over Tom Savage. One led to a touchdown, one led to a turnover. 
I think the first one was when it was six to nothing. The Texans were driving and got it to around midfield, turned it over at that point. Then it was twelve to nothing with about a, less than a minute left and a half, trying to get some points on the board before half, and he got a second one. Ngakwe is the energizer bunny of pass rushers. He never stops. But he's kind of awkward and different as a pass rusher. He's not just run up field. He's not just spin moves. He's got a litany of moves that he likes to use. But the one thing that he does so well, he almost treats it like he's a point guard in basketball. He is going to break tackles down just with his movement. But the one other thing with him is he's relentless. Even if he takes a high, speedy pass rush, he will work his way back to the quarterback. So whoever is responsible for blocking 91 must stay between he and Deshaun Watson throughout the play until the whistles. It's not enough to just shove him on by and think Deshaun's throw it and start watching and see what's happening. You've got to stay on him through the whistle. It's imperative because 91 can ruin the game. 91 has moved into that status. He has moved into that echelon where you've got to account for him every play, every second to the whistle. Absolutely, 91 must be taken care of. Number two, what run game can be established in this one? Now, the Jags are they are not one of the top run defenses in the league, which is a little bit surprising with that with what they have up front, what they have at linebacker. You'd think, man, they, they stuffed the run, right? No, they're one of the top teams in the league against the pass, but they give up about 118, 119 yards per game on the ground. The Texans have not been able to run it extremely well. Last week, they got some creases up front, but really the Bills were so disciplined that they just didn't allow the Texans to get much in the running game. This week's got to change because last week it was 24 for 74. Deshaun only had two attempts for two yards. Usually Deshaun accounts for about 30 to 35 yards, sometimes not into the 40s, but really weren't able to get either of the running backs going. Lamar, 15 for 46. Alfred, 7 for 26. They've got to be able to get those guys going. And it's got to be things that hit quickly. This can't be long, winding you know, runs that bounce the outside. You bounce the outside. Barry Church and Gibson are going to be all over it. And you've got to figure it out fast. Okay, these types of runs are working. We've got to stick with these runs. They've got to be able to put that secondary in peril. Church, he's got to come support the run, and then boom, you can hit some throws behind him. Same with Tishon Gibson. If you can get some runs going early, if not, those guys are just going to sit at 12 to 15 yards and just take away your passing game. So you've got to get the run established early, figure it out early, figure it out fast, and let's roll with it. Get the ball out now. Get it out of your hands now. Deshaun Watson's got to throw the football. He can't sit back there, and I know he wants to create plays. And I, I mean, I understand that, and I know that's probably been beaten to his head. And the way that he's wound, he thinks every play can be a play. But take the profit. Coach O'Brien talks about it all the time. Take the profit. If Kiki's there for five yards, hit him for five yards. Akins or Jordan Thomas, take what Jacksonville gives to you. Live to see second and four. That's completely fine. Get the ball out now. Use the tight ends. Use the slots. There have been guys open at times, and the window closes fast. We've got to make that decision quickly, and this is one of those to get the ball out, not take those hits, especially against this defense. Now, last week I said I loved the double pass call. Actually, I loved it. I just don't know if I would have run it against Buffalo because Buffalo is more disciplined than most defenses. Against Jacksonville, you might have an opportunity. Because of the aggressiveness with which they play, they're going to be all over it. They want to run to the football, especially a linebacker. Telvin Smith and Miles Jack run to the football like they run like safeties. And they want to run the football and they want to inflict pain on running backs. Defensive backs kind of the same way. 
this might be an opportunity where maybe it's not double pass, but there might be some, I don't say trick play or flea flick or something that you can run against Jacksonville and take advantage of that over-aggressiveness. I mentioned the linebackers is key number five. Occupy the linebackers. You don't have to maul them. In fact, you're probably not going to because they're so quick, but you got to occupy them. And if you can get to a point where you position them and then they take a bad path, they jump inside when they should go over the top of a block and they know it, that's where your run game can take advantage of. And Telvin Smith and Jack, they're not the biggest guys in the world, but they are fast. So you've got to get to the right position, and you just have to occupy them because they'll make the decision to run around the block. And if they do, that's where the run game can take advantage of. And the last key, number six, you may have to account for the safeties in the run game. If you start running the ball pretty well and Church and Gibson start rolling into the box as the Buffalo Bills did, then you've got to account for them in some way, shape, or form. And you may have to account for them in two ways. One, maybe not having a wide receiver block of safety, but maybe you have to have somebody else bump off to them and treat them like a linebacker. Or, because you've sucked them now in, account for them by running some play action and getting throws behind them. So either way, but you got to account for the safeties in the run game. Last week, Kiki QT, I thought when he was in the slot, he did a really good job blocking. He did a really good job. Got to his spots. He got, uh, especially Taron Johnson, he got him out of there. And I think that's one of the things that they've got to be able to do, that they got to account for those safeties in the run game. And so if that's Kiki inside, whomever, but they've got to account for them. If they don't do it in the blocking scheme, then check the play to a pass and hit passes where those safeties would be in the void. All right, let's hop over to defense. Number one, more than anything else, everything is in front. Everything is in front. No receivers get behind. Last year in December, it was a disaster. Guys got behind, playing man coverage, Bortles dropped balls just on the spot, and it was ugly, really ugly. These guys can fly. Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, and D.J. Chark are maybe not the most accomplished receivers, but they can fly. And a lot of what they get is driving you off thinking they're going downfield and then working back and with the Bortles hitting him. But then you got to adjust. Then you adjust with some press coverage. You, you stay on top of them or you tighten down your off coverage, and then they double move you. And Keelan Cole's got some great hands. So these guys cannot get anything over the top. Now, they're not averaging more than 14 yards a catch, but a lot of that is because they've not made some catches down the field they could have made. Bortles missed them a few times. And so they've got to make the defensive backs have got to make sure that that's not impactful. Nothing behind them. To that point, key number two on the defensive side, force bad Bortles to come out. There's good Blake and there's bad Blake. And Jacksonville people know about it. We know about it. Everybody knows about it. And we've seen we've seen bad Blake Bortles. We saw him here in 2016 in that game where we came from behind. We saw him in 2015, 2014. He all kind of hurts a little bit. But 2017, good Blake came out in both games. you got to force the bad Bortles to come out. How do you do that? Jump at some short routes, using your disguises and using them well. And then when you get in third and long, that's where you want to live, then you got to make sure that you take away any opportunity to pick up first downs in any way, shape, or form, which leads me to key number three. Bortles will scramble. Do not take your eyes off of him. you got to watch him at all times. Head on a swivel, linebackers. One thing that he does really well is scene opening and takeoff for first downs. He lets the outside rushers get beyond him, and then he takes off. He sees that seam and he takes off. And obviously, linebackers are dropping into coverage. And so he sees that. It's third and seven. He sees everybody go beyond him. He sees Watt and Clowney working behind him, and now he's taken off and running. So the Texans do a couple of things that could negate that with the way they rush in the middle and the personnel they have in the middle, but there's still seams there. 
If that means the linebackers are going to chase him down, they're going to have to chase him down. But try to avoid that. Make him throw from the well. Which leads me to four. In the run game, Bortles will run the zone read. Now, the Texans have taken the zone read away from Bortles before. They did it with some different techniques, and the Jags didn't like it. They didn't like it, and they're like, ah, this is not working. But I've also seen Bortles pull that ball in the zone read this year and pick up significant gains because everybody is chasing running backs, and he's pulling it out of there going, what are you doing, dummies? And he just takes it and runs and picks up eight yards, slides down to second and two. You can't allow him to short yardage situations on second down. Just can't do it because that brings you back to key number one. If he gets a second one, second and two, they'll take a shot because they feel like they can pick up third and one, third and two with their running game. So Bortles cannot, off the zone read, force him to hand the ball off. Force him to hand the ball off, and that means that linebackers and defensive ends have to play together. If one's crashing, one's scraping. If one's playing Bortles, the other one's crashing hard on the, on the run. They've got to be able to play the zone read properly and intelligently. Now, they've done it in the past, as I've said, and that's really, really helped them against the Jaguars and the run game. Need a similar plan to that. Last key, attack the weak spots in the offensive line. Brandon Linder and Andrew Norwell have been banged up this week, but they have practiced. The left tackle, Josh Walker, is a guy the Texans know, having been on the roster a few years ago. He's replacing the guy who replaced the guy. Cam Robinson was hurt, and they went to backup, then they went to a second backup. Where's the weak spot on the line? Is that left tackle? Jeremy Parnell is the guy that typically at right tackle. I think they can beat him. So the weak spot on the line, really, a couple guys on the inside banged up, a couple guys on the outside that are backups. Where is it throughout the game? That's what you're going to have to feel out. Which guys do you feel like are the weak spots on this line and then attack it? Whether it's with blitz, whether it's with overloads, whatever it is, make sure you attack the weak spots in the offensive line. When everybody's healthy, Cam Robinson's healthy and Norwell and Linda are healthy and Can is ready to go and Parnell's going, that's a really good offensive line. But it's not healthy and it's not it, it's without Robinson, pure and simple. And I think Robinson is a huge piece for them, and I didn't think he would be. I did not think he would be. I thought a tackle was going to be a struggle. I thought he moved into guard, but they played him at left tackle, and he has been really, really good as a rookie. And he was a big reason why the Jaguars were able to run the football in different ways and keep Blake Bortles protected because of the work he was doing at left tackle. But he's been out, so you've got an advantage there. Take advantage of that up front. Wear the weak spots. Exploit them right now. And the last one, we're going to give the special teams. Two years ago, 2016, in a very close game at Jacksonville, 24-21 game, the Texans needed a punt return from Tyler Irvin, and they got it. He got it all the way down to the five-yard line, didn't score, but he had about a 40, 45-yard return. They got it inside scoring position. Texans scored a touchdown on the very next play. This feels like a game where Irv's got to do that. One good punt return to give them position. If you get a turnover, if you get a great punt return that sets up position, That'll put you in a good spot to win this football game. But I think defense doing its deal. But Irvin in the punt return game, I think, could put them in really good stead with an excellent, excellent return. So there you go. That's this week's First Community Credit Union First Glance Keys to the Game as brought to you by FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. All right, we get back. It's our buddy Brian Gain. He will join us next right here on Texans All Access. Second hour of Texans All Access begins right now, welcome back, everybody. It is Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Glad you are with us. We got one hour in a book. If you just missed it, I gave you our keys to the game. So if you're going, oh, man, how do you do that? Just go check out our podcast. We put all the All Access shows on podcast in addition to Vandermeer's View, In the Lab, and Deep Slant. So 
you get a chance to hear all those podcasts, and they're absolutely fantastic. So hopefully you get a chance to catch up. So if you miss an all-access show, that's what you do. You go to wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, however you go about doing it, that is where you're going to pick it up. Now, before we get to Brian Gain, i got to tell you a little bit about a little bit about Toro's math drills. So if you're a Houston area teacher and want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom, then I need you to sign up for Toro's math drills presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's math drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's math drills to learn more. And if you learn enough math, maybe you can find your way into an NFL front office. No, wait, 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 wait. Did you just say learn math and get into an NFL front office? Yeah. How much... How much analytical knowledge can you gain and use as an NFL front office? I know that there are 32 teams in the league, and they're all using analytics. They're all using forms of math in some way, shape, or form. There are a lot of nerds taking over in the NFL, especially in front offices, and, and that's okay. And, and I, can say, I can say the N-word right there because, well, I am one. As comedian Burt Kreischer says, if you are one, you can say it, and I am. I'm a nerd. I'm totally fine with that. I've got a civil engineering degree, got an accounting degree. I'm a nerd. And there are a lot of lot of guys like me that got started very young with analytics and they've been using them in the front office. So I know that at some point RGM Brian Gain has used that knowledge to help him find players in the draft, find players out on the street. He definitely has used that knowledge and he caught up with Mark Vandermeer earlier this week for the Gain plan. Brian Three weeks ago, we sat here, and the Texans were 0-3, and now 3-3, and so you have to feel good about that part of it. I know there are always things you want to correct, but the winning part is going well right now. Sure. It was a, it was a great uh, effort by our defense and a uh, great effort by our special teams, which continues to improve each week in terms of our coverage units. They made some impact plays. Turnovers were a big part of the game for sure. We know we got to make improvements and adjustments on offense uh, to get things going there. But nevertheless, uh, what I've learned a lot about our team is is that we have a lot of lot of resiliency, a lot of mental toughness. Uh, these guys know how to play 60 minutes, and when the game is on the line here, the last three weeks, we've made some critical plays in, in critical moments. So we've learned a lot about our about our team in that regard. So, you know, I know the season didn't start out the way we wanted to, but we're two and zero right now in what I would call the second quarter of the season. Mm-hmm. We're two and one at home right now, and uh, we're back to three and three. And uh, we worked our way back to this point. But we have a, a critical divisional game that's uh, going to be a great match this Sunday. Um, we have a three-way tie for first place in the division, and we haven't even re- reached the bye yet. So we've positioned ourselves and worked hard to get back to this point. And uh, this is going to be a very important game for us here as it relates to the rest of the season. What's different about the defense as it evolves throughout the course of the season? I think continuity and experience uh, as it relates to the communication, you know, with some new players and some adjustments. Um, guys are making critical plays at critical moments. I think our pass rush has been present uh, the past few weeks, uh, been around the quarterback even when we're, we're not finishing it with sacks in terms of pressures, hits, knockdowns. Um, coverage in the rush, I think, uh, complements each other very well right now. Um, guys are making plays. You know, we're getting some stops. Uh, we're keeping the point totals down. Um, so it's been it's been fun to watch as it develops and, and improves. But I think the rush and the coverage seem to be complementing each other and playing off one another. There's good chemistry brewing, I think, with some young players emerging and some experienced players. 
um, showing their experience. So it's been fun to watch as it relates to that. When you look at a guy like Jonathan Joseph in his 13th year, you didn't draft him, the Bengals did, but when you see a player as a young man, it's got to be so hard to identify how he's going to evolve through the course of his career and grow and mature and develop. You don't target a 13-year career maybe, but what is it about certain guys that have that ability to keep learning and keep getting better? The, the greatest uh, intangible asset I think Jonathan Joseph has is he is a very instinctive football player. The game of football comes natural to him. He is a very educated football player, very knowledgeable. He understands route concepts. He understands uh, route schemes, studies the opponent, uh, learns what who he's, who he's lining up against, knows their strengths and weaknesses, uh, knows knows how his, his position fits into the grand scheme of things for the defense. He's a very reliable, very dependable player, and he's great with the young guys. I think he's a resource of information. He's an encyclopedia for our young guys as it relates to the knowledge of the defense, but also the knowledge of opponents. So very unique skill set. We're happy to have him. We all saw Deshaun Watson on the injury report, so we knew that he was limited in practice and had the chest injury and everything like that. So how does this work within the organization? You have Jeff Kaplan. You have the outside doctors as well. You all make a collective decision. How does that part of it work? Not necessarily just with him, but players who are injured who may or may not be able to play on a Sunday. First and foremost, the health of the player is is of premium importance to, to both Bill and I, number one. That'll always be the case, equally to the McNair family. Uh, Number two, in terms of the process of how that works, you know, once the injuries are identified after the game on Sunday, uh, we go about the business of of obviously evaluating our, our injured players as it relates to after the game and then again on Monday. How that relates to roster management issues, it may influence how we bring players in for workouts or tryouts or how we make adjustments on the 53 man roster and how that may influence the practice squad as well as it relates to going out and practicing. Jeff Kaplan is our head athletic trainer, our director of sports medicine, and then Dr. Walt Lowe is our lead orthopedic. We have great communication uh, with both with both of them and, and their staffs. Uh, we make an evaluation on how that's going to impact the practice plan and the preparation plan. If there's any impacts to the roster, we make those adjustments. And then by the end of the week, we feel like Friday or Saturday, we have a much better, greater understanding of how that may impact the player's performance and then ultimately make a decision on what's best for the player as it relates to their safety and long-term health on on Saturday afternoon. Let's talk about Terrell Adams. I mean, I know it's a team sport, but he comes up with the block punt, and that has to make you feel good when you acquire a player and he's able to fit in, make a play like that on special teams that's so big. Excellent, excellent point. He's a six foot one, two hundred and thirty pounds, four six forty guy coming out. Um, he's somebody that Brad uh, Sealy was familiar with, having had him in Oakland. So there was some system and scheme familiarity in terms of communication and learning some of the alignments that we wanted to teach him. He's been a four-core guy. Uh, he's been a pleasant find. Uh, has seamlessly fit in here with with our operation, with our scheme, and equally in our locker room. Uh, he's got good movement skills. He runs well. Uh, anytime we have a chance to add fourth down speed, range, and mobility, we're going to try to do that when we can. It was predicated based off Brian Peters' injury, but he's filled in nicely for us, and he's done an admirable job. I'm looking at the tackles, and they're so young, really, compared to the interior three guys, and it's not like Nick Martin has been in the league for a decade either. So it's a developmental process, right? Because when you talk to O'Lyman, even Jonathan Joseph this morning said, well, it took me three or four years to figure out some things in the secondary. So this is a process, but you're trying to get ahead of the curve here if you possibly can, right? Correct. And that's, you've heard me say this before in, uh, 
in my, our conversations is, you know, Bill and I, Coach O'Brien and I believe in player development. And when you think about Julian Davenport, fourth-round player, second-year player, when you think about Kendall Lamb right now at right tackle, you know, former undrafted free agent who's entering the fourth year of his career. So that's complimentary to uh, Coach Devlin to, to get the guys developed and ready to play. And then theoretically our third tackle is a third-round rookie as well. So we have some youth and some pipeline, and we have guys who what I would say is in the hopper for the future too. But with each and every game, they're going to learn through the ups and downs. They're going to learn from the positives of every experience they have in a game. And perhaps even when and, when and if the negatives occur, they learn from those things. They grow from the, from those things. And I think that's the, the, the biggest thing I want to stress to any young player is that you're going to have ups and downs throughout your career. Um, but you got to study the tape and you got to be honest with yourself about what you're doing good and where you have to improve. And I think you can do that in any position, not just offensive tackle, but especially because of the youth we have at the position. It's important for those guys to grow and develop and to learn from the positives, but also learn from any negatives. Brian, in your opinion, what is it about the NFL? How does it stay so competitive? Because week to week, you really don't know what's going to happen. You see some wild swings in scores from week to week. You see the Ravens with the dominating performance on the road, and they struggled with Cleveland previously. Not that Cleveland's bad because they've won a couple of games. So what is it about the league that keeps it so balanced? It's the best of the best, and it's as competitive a business as as you're going to enter into. Everybody's good. And everybody is, is the best guy from whatever program that they came from or one of the better ones that they came from. So you're playing in an environment where we have our best out there, you have your best out there. And I've shared this with young players is uh, if you're six foot three, 250 pounds and you run four six forty, the guy across from you in this league may be very much the same physical parameters. What's going to be the difference? It's going to come down to your preparation and then it's going to come down to execution on Sunday and your ability to execute the plan. And it really boils down to those two things, the preparation and the execution on Sunday. I wanted to ask you this because every few weeks I want to check in with you as to how it's going preparing for the 2019 draft. Not to get ahead of ourselves with what your needs are or anything, but you're out there scouting right now and looking at the colleges. So it's halfway pretty much to the college season. How's that process going? Very good. Uh, at this stage of the season, you're, you're, you're about at the halfway point in terms of all our road scouts being out there covering all the colleges and they've been through all the big programs, and more than likely every area scout that we have, we have we have five areas in the country, more than likely each one of those scouts has been through every school already as it relates to who they have to cover and who they have to see. So you're kind of moving into the second phase of the fall season, the fall scouting season, and guys will go back through those schools to see those second looks on players or get more information on prospects that perhaps they didn't get enough of the first time around. So we feel like we have a pretty good feel on where maybe the strengths are in the draft and maybe where the weaknesses are without knowing any of the underclassmen at this stage. But right about this point, your your area scouts have been through almost every school in their area. That's impressive. Do you have a lot of conversations about specific prof- prospects at this time of year, or is it pretty much a general sort of thing? When uh, when I arrived here in January and then uh, when we made our changes here in, in May, we, we, we like to believe is we introduced and indoctrinated a scouting system and a, and a methodology of how we scout players, how we evaluate guys, and how we build in these natural filters within our scouting system to identify pools of prospects that may fit specific parameters at various positions. So what we create are uh, critical factors and position specifics for every position that we may draft, and then we grade those traits. So naturally those come in stacking order, and we 
continue to tweak the board. The board is always in pencil until April 28th because mm. you abbreviate it, you adjust it, move guys up, move guys down. And the second half of this fall scouting season can be influenced a lot by the, these first fall grades that come through here before October 15th. So at this stage now, then, we may need second looks on prospects, prospects that may be emerging that we didn't know about. Or perhaps maybe grades are a little bit lower on guys and you uh, reallocate your scouting resources elsewhere. So the system will speak to us about how we allocate those resources. Brian, thanks a lot for the time. Good luck this week. Thank you. There he is, General Manager Brian Gain on the Gain Plan. Good insight into, I think, the, I don't want to say the business side of things, but the personnel side of things, which is always churning, especially the, the practice squad, I mean, we've seen the Texans consistently changing in guys in the practice squad. Josh Ferguson added a practice squad this past week. Running back formerly out of Illinois, Josh Ferguson added to the practice squad this week. And if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago when Ferguson was coming out of Illinois, I want to say the Texans worked him out. So you never know when one of those workouts can pay off. But I remember the Texans having some interest in Josh a few years ago. Now they bring him to the practice squad. And it just shows that – job for Brian Gain is always ongoing. Maybe not all 53 guys on the 53-man roster, but on the practice squad, they're always looking for guys that they can take a look at, and maybe they've got an opportunity to move up to the 53 if there's an injury or there's an opening somewhere that they just feel like, hey, this guy in practice squad, he's been practicing really, really well. Maybe we need to give him a shot. So they're always looking, changing, moving, and that relies on Brian Gain, his personnel department, to get that done each and every week, and they have. So there you go. Good stuff there from Brian Gain. All right, coming up, it's time to go around the NFL and do it the way that we do it here on Texas All Access, and that is to pick every game straight up and against the spread. I missed my Thursday night game. It's the first time I've done that in, I think, four weeks. I don't know why I ended up going with the home team Arizona Cardinals last night, but I did, and it didn't pay off. Josh Rosen melted down three interceptions, two pick sixes. The Denver defense was phenomenal, and I paid the price. But I got more games, more games coming up that I can I get a little retribution, if you will. So we'll pick them all straight up against the spread next right here in Texas All Access. It's that time of the show where we go around the NFL and we do it my way. Welcome back to Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And as I mentioned, it's time to go around the NFL. Now, when I say around the NFL, that means I'm picking games. And it's simple as that. And it's a good way to go around the NFL and talk about the things that are happening in all the other cities throughout the NFL. And we got plenty of games this weekend. We've got a London game, which is actually very important. I'll get to that in a second. We've got a few teams on the bye. So we got 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 13 games this weekend that we have got to pick Sunday night game that got flexed in, and we'll talk about that, obviously, and then a Monday night game that, when you look at the records, eh. but two quarterbacks in there that we know and have seen this year, one of them we've seen this year, who had a almost record ball game against us, but we'll get to that in just a second. So, let's do it. We pick them straight up and against the spread, and we'll start in London, but to do that and to get going, I need my music, please. And there it is, the music. Oh, I love my NFL Films music. This gets me hyped. And yes, I do listen to it in the car at times, maybe more than at times. It's not on my it's not on my iPad, or it's not on my iPhone anymore, but it has over time. So just 
just in case I need to get hyped. I'm just I'm just living off natural hype right now. I'm not, I'm not on NFL Films hype in the car. But right now I am. And when I'm picking games, I definitely am. So let's get to it. That game in London I spoke of, it's a pretty good matchup between the Tennessee Titans and the L.A. Chargers over in London. Now, Tennessee got over there, I think, a couple of days ago, about three days ago. I want to say they went over on Wednesday, or either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. They went over to London. L.A. wasn't leaving, I think, until Thursday night or Friday morning. So Chargers trying to keep it as normal travel week as possible. Tennessee had about a seven-hour flight over there, so L.A. probably had about a ten, ten-and-a-half-hour flight over there. The Chargers are favored by six-and-a-half, and this is a game that you'll be able to watch at 8.30. 8.30 in the morning, you roll out of bed, and you're like, oh, huh, you're getting the sleep out of your eyes. You got football on. You got football on, and we need the Chargers to win. The Chargers are favored by six-and-a-half, and I think that can happen. I think the Chargers right now, better football team than Tennessee. I said it before, I think Tennessee's fool's gold. The Chargers got to be looking at their chops. 11 sacks last week for Baltimore against Tennessee. That won't happen again. But I do think it points to a little bit of the erosion of confidence for Marcus Mariota. I think the Chargers win this thing like 21-10, 24-13. That is more than 6.5. Let's take the Chargers to win, bump the Titans down to 3-4, and four, and cover the 6.5. Then we get to the noon ball games. The New England Patriots visit the Chicago Bears. Happens every eight years where the Patriots go to Chicago. Patriots favored by three and a half. Still trying to figure out how and why that's the case. I feel like New England has hit its stride. Yes, they gave up a lot of points to Kansas City. Chicago, even though Matt Nagy's calling the offense and he came out of that Andy Reid chief system, everybody thinks Chicago will move the ball to the Patriots. I don't think so. I think they will to a point. I think Chicago will move the ball, but I think the Patriots are that much better. Let's take the Patriots to win by a touchdown, so they'll cover the three and a half and beat Chicago at Soldier Field. The Vikings go to the Jets. Now, the Vikings found a little bit of the secret sauce. They've got the leading receiver in the league, Adam Thielen, who has six games over 100 yards to start the season. That's phenomenal. Kirk Cousins has found his guy. And then you got the Jets at 3-3. Three and three. And the Jets are up and down and up and down and up and down, and you don't know what to expect. I don't know that I could go with that inconsistency, so I'm going to go with the Vikings, a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. I'm going with them to win and to cover. This feels 20. This feels like 31, 23, 34, 23, something something like that. But more than three-and-a-half, let's give the Vikings a W over the Jets in MetLife Stadium. Carolina goes to Philadelphia. This was a domination last year by the Eagles when they met in Charlotte on Thursday night. And I remember watching that game thinking, boy, Philly's good. This could be a team to reckon with. It was about the same time as last year. Now they're playing on a Sunday, and this one's in Philly. Philly's a a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Carolina, a little up and down. Three and two could easily be two and three if Graham Gano didn't make a 63-yard field goal against the New York Giants. I think Philadelphia starts to... They're getting Carson Wentz in in shape, in football shape. Is that the right way of saying that? So I think Philadelphia will win this game by more than four and a half. I think it could very easily be a 28-21, 34-27 kind of game. Kind of goes back and forth, but I think Philadelphia ends up winning by a touchdown, beating Cam Newton and the boys from Charlotte. Detroit goes to Miami. I don't know what to make of either team. The Brockster's going to start again for Miami. 
and very well could start against the Texans on Thursday night, which is something I know every Houston Texans fan has looked forward to. But that's for next week. Let's talk about this week. Miami, one-and-a-half-point favorite down at home. Detroit can rise up and beat anybody in the league and get beat by 35 by some of the weaker teams in the league. Don't know what to expect from Detroit. I'm going to go with Miami only because it's home team, a point and a half. It's not a lot. So I'm essentially taking Miami straight up to beat Detroit. I'm rolling with it. Take the Dolphins to beat Detroit and cover that one and a half. Cleveland travels down to Tampa Bay. Cleveland got thumped last week by Pittsburgh. Now they're going to go on the road and take on Tampa Bay. These two teams have a way more talent than you would think a 2-3 and three and a 2-3-1 and one team should be. Tampa Bay is favored by 3.5. I think that Tampa Bay will win this game. Kind of do the same thing that Pittsburgh did to a degree against Baker in that offense. I think Tampa Bay gets the win. Doesn't feel like doesn't feel like it's going to be a low-scoring game. It feels like it's got the opportunity to get up a little bit higher, uh, like in the 30s, 35, 31, 37, 30, something like that. I think Tampa Bay still comes out on top. Jameis back in back in the starting lineup. That'll move Tampa Bay to 3-3 three and three, and Cleveland to 2-4-1. and one. Buffalo travels to Indianapolis. And the starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills will be Derek Anderson. Signed last week. But Josh Allen's hurt. He got hit on that clowny, merciless ping pong, if you will. That hurt his elbow. He's out for a few weeks. Nathan Peterman threw the back-breaking interception and then another one after that to finish the game. So Sean McDermott decided to go with Derek Anderson, somebody that was in Carolina when McDermott was a defensive coordinator there. Derek Anderson takes the Bills into Indianapolis. The Colts are 1-5 and and a a 9.5 point favorite. That is way too rich. Buffalo will not let this one get away. But Indianapolis will win. They won't win by by 9.5 or 10. This feels like a 3-4 to point ball game. I'm taking Indy to win, but I'm taking Buffalo to get inside that 9.5. Then you got Houston and Jacksonville. The Jags are now 5.5 point favorite. People didn't like that initial 4.5 line. They kept going on Jacksonville. We'll see. That's the last of the noon games. You know how I feel about it with Houston. Straight up, cover, win, whatever you got to do. Let's get it done. New Orleans goes to Baltimore. This is one of the best games of the entire weekend. It's the afternoon game as the Saints 4-1 off a bye week. Drew Brees broke the record against Washington on Monday night. Then they went into a bye week, and then they go to Baltimore. And Baltimore had 11 sacks. As I mentioned earlier, Marcus Mariota. Baltimore's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. So Vegas looks at this and says, New Orleans a little bit better than Baltimore, but Baltimore, because you're playing at home, we're going to give you the advantage. I think Baltimore coming home, yes, New Orleans coming off a bye week. They've gotten Mark Ingram back. I think that offense and the whole team has really gotten on track. I think this is the Saints team that you're going to see going forward, but I think it's going to be a little too much for, for them going to Baltimore. I think that defense clamps down on Drew, holds them in check, and I think the Baltimore offense does just enough to cover and win that game against New England. Dallas goes to Washington. Dallas on the road, 0-3. Dallas at home, 3-0. This game's at Washington. That's why Washington is still favored, and Washington is 3-2. There's a part of me that thinks Dallas's road woes will change at some point, and it feels like a division game on the road is enough to get their attention. So I'm going with the Cowboys to get to 4-3, and 
and get the win. And Washington, even though it's favored, I'm getting Dallas to win in the cover in Washington. The Rams go to San Francisco. Back this offseason, this looked like a great matchup. Jared Goff gets Jimmy Garoppolo, Sean McVay versus Kyle Shanahan. This looked like an awesome offensive matchup. But Jimmy tore his ACL. San Francisco's 1-5. Rams are 6-0. The Rams are holding up their end of the bargain. 49ers, not so much. Rams are 9.5-point favorites in San Francisco. Rams are going to win this game, but that 9.5 is a little too rich. Shanahan, the offense, will put the ball in the end zone a little bit against the Rams. That's not impossible. They just won't stop L.A. I got a feeling this is this feels like 41-34, almost like last year's game on a Thursday night. San Francisco will get inside the 9.5. The Rams will go to 7-0. and Then your Sunday night game, which got flexed. And it was a good thing that it did. Cincinnati's 4-2. Going to Kansas City 5-1. Kansas City took one on the chin last weekend in New England. 43-40. Hung in there. Had the lead. But couldn't maintain it. Tied at 40. Steven Goskowski kicked the field goal to kick Kansas City from the undefeated ranks. Cincinnati comes to call on a Sunday night. It's going to be loud. It's going to be difficult. I think that Cincinnati will have some trouble with Kansas City. If Kansas City takes advantage of Andy Dalton, gets some turnovers, and I'm not saying that's going to be easy because Andy's playing some really good ball right now. And Joe Mixon is back. I think Cincinnati's going to be tough to stop. But Kansas City is going to outscore them. They're going to win by a touchdown. That's more than 5.5, so let's take Kansas City to win and cover that 5.5. Then the mess that is the New York Giants goes to Atlanta. Atlanta's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Atlanta got back on the winning track last week, beating Tampa Bay. Again, good offense. They've got some guys out defensively that can make it a problem. The Giants, with their backs to the wall, at times have been good. Last week was miserable. But they played on a Thursday night, so they're coming off the mini-bye. I think they'll play it close for a while. But in the end, that team is a mess. I don't like I don't like going with teams that are messes, if you will. So I'm taking the Falcons to win and to cover that 5.5 on the Monday night. So there you go. There are your picks for this weekend. Enjoy the games. All right, coming up next, it's our players segment. You know how we do. We give one segment. Well, we actually give all the segments to the players if you think about it. But it's an opportunity to hear from them. We do a little get-to-know with Lamar Miller. We do a little player reporter with Kareem Jackson. And then we do the final word with Drew Doherty. And this week, it's Justin Reed. So we've got all of that for you on the other side. So stay with us. It's our player segment right here on Texans All Access. Stay right where you are. One final segment of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Glad to be with you this evening. John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. Glad you're with me this evening as we have had a lot for you tonight and hopefully We've got more for you in our final segment. Now, in this final segment, we devote it to our players. We get to know a player. Drew Doherty does a get-to-know interview. We obviously have our favorite segment all week, which is player reporter. And then we also have the final word with Drew Doherty. Now, this week, we're going to have a little bit of offense. We'll always have a little bit of defense because we've got Kareem Jackson. But we're also going to have a rookie in our final word. So let's kick it off as we get to know Lamar Miller. Drew, take it away. Let's get to know Lamar Miller. It's all brought to you by IW Marks. 
You know, last year when we did this, we were talking about that Indianapolis Colt mascot that was doing his thing with you in the end zone. Yes. You had any other interesting experiences like that since then? No. No. I haven't had any experience. No. Been pretty quiet? Yeah. I got you. Traveled there lately? No. I've, I've just been going back and forth to Miami. That's that's Spent like a vacation spot. That's like yeah. a cool spot. You know? Yeah. So I was there this whole offseason pretty much. Yeah. Good times? Yes. Do you, uh, what, what sort of food do you eat when you go back home? Get your favorite stuff from growing up? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a soul food type of guy. Okay, like what's, so, what sort of stuff is in soul food? So either like fried chicken, like mac and cheese, baked beans, collard greens, stuff like that. The good stuff. Yes. You like yeah, spicy? I put weight on you. Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> if you could have your clothes be one color for the rest of your life. My clothes? Yeah. Everything's the same color though. Everything. Pants, shoes, shirt. What's it going to be? Black. Just because... Can't go wrong with black. Goes with everything. Goes with everything. If you start to add on weight, not that you're going to, but if you did, slimming. Still looks Yeah, I so got you. All black is. Hey, how about this? You're able to fly. You have the ability to fly. But you're going to have awful breath. You taking that? I mean, like, knock you... Like, there's no way we could talk this close. Oh, breath. no. No? no? You want to stay how you are? Yeah, yeah, I'm perfectly fine. You're kind of on, like... You and Deshaun and John Weeks are the only guys that have chosen that. Everybody else wants to fly. For real? Yep, wow. yep. I like them out. You guys are people persons. Yeah. Or people people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. One song that you get to listen to for the rest of your life. What is it? One song? I can't choose one song. You got one artist? One artist? Yeah. I'll say Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. Okay. Someone else has chosen that. It's a good choice. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Do you like Christmas songs? Christmas songs? No. No? I mean, it's a good holiday, but the songs and stuff. Not big on the songs? Yeah. Gotta listen a little way. Yeah. He never did any Christmas songs, did he? Not that I know of. But he might have been like that. That's so prolific. Yeah. I mean... Years ago, probably, but I'm not really sure. He probably... I bet you, in the time we've done this interview, he's probably cranked out six, six songs. Yeah. You know, the guy... Pumps out so many sort of Yeah. Lamar, I'm glad nothing crazy like the uh, mascot pretending to hump you has happened since yeah, last that time. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. But it's been good getting to know you. It's always good getting to know you, Lamar. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. I am so completely with Lamar Miller on this one, I couldn't care less about flying. But man, bad breath, oh, no way. No way. Do not want any part of it. All right, it is time for our player reporter, a.k.a. KJAC TV, which is taken off like wildfire. And we've got a special guest appearance this week. The people have been clamoring for it, and they're going to get it. Player reporter is brought to you by Arctic, the official coolers and tumblers of the Houston Texans. Visit RTICcoolers.com. Arctic coolers overbuilt, not overpriced. Who is that special guest? It is one J.J. Watt. K-Jack, take it away. I don't even have to introduce this guy. The fans have been asking for K-Jack TV. I'm here with my guy, my best friend. You guys know him as J.J. I know him as Nozzle. What's up, my guy? How you doing? How you feeling? Man, great to have you on the show, man. If you were a wrestler, what would be your ring name? Oh, man, that's great. That's a great one. Um... Shoot, sorry. 
Ajax TV censored. We got the beat. We got the little beep. We got the beat. We can beep it out. Now coming to the ring. What they gonna say? We'll just say something like flying K or something. I can't really think of that right now. I, I, I like that's I like that one. I like that one. Flying K. Oh, it's easy. Ride a ride Piper. <laughs> I feel like it'd be something with Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Wrangler. The Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Wrangler. Now coming to the ring, the Wisconsin Wrangler. I'm gonna stay with DJ Dunny. I'm gonna stay with that. You know what I'm saying? I can come out there with some beats on and beat people up. You know what I'm saying? All right, that, that, I, I, I like the track. I, you know, what I'm smack somebody's head over with a with a track or something. You know what I'm saying? I can do that. Can I sell that? I like that, Dunny. I like that. DJ Dunny coming to the uh, coming to the ring. Would you have a signature move? Nah, no signature move. So how you gonna finish him and win the match? Just get in there, get the job done real quick. What would be your finishing move? My finishing move would be like. Um, Something with cheese, yeah. Something like, yeah. We, just choking with cheese. Yeah, we do like a fondue right on top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds tasty. Yeah, I can't wear the tights though. I'm I'm cool on the tights. Am I, so what you gonna wear? I'm I, I might. Do. People want to see the tights. Nah, we can't. I don't think no DJ wear tights. I mean, if I'm wearing if I'm wearing tights, y'all gonna you gonna have to give me some more money to wear tights. Well, I ain't gonna be the one to have you in in the ring, okay. so I ain't you know getting you. Saying? No Look, you know what? We wearing tights. We gonna wear tights then. You know what All I'm right. saying? I'm coming to the ring with tights on. I am absolutely with Dunny on this one. What he should have thought of, and I know Kareem's coming to them in the locker room, and they got to think fast. He's gonna be DJ Dunny. He's got to wear like the Adidas sweatsuit, or he's got to wear like a Puma sweatsuit. He's got to wear like the sweatsuit with the Kango and the chain. And do something with the chain as his finishing move. That's what it's got to be. Like old school 80s MCs. I mean, that's what it's got to be. But, you know, that's that. I had the hindsight of thinking about that because I knew the wrestling question. So, But I'm with Dunny. Dunny would make for a great, great wrestler. And Kiki's got to come up with a – he's got to come up with a, a finishing move. And his name, Flying K, that's a good one. That's what it's got to be. It's got to be like a flying maneuver off the top rope. Not that I know anything about professional wrestling or anything. You know, I need to go to my – my expert in this. I need to go. I need to go to. J- I need to go. To my buddy Sean Pendergast. Sean would know every player on the teams, what the name should be, what the finishing move should be. I'm going to pose that question to him and give him food for thought because I think he would absolutely love that. Now, Justin Reed didn't show up in KJAC TV. He will, and I think he has before. Kareem has definitely gotten the rookie on, but he is given our final word today with Drew Doherty. Each and every week, Drew catches up. With a player in the, in the locker room, get some thoughts about the upcoming opponent, this being the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Justin Reed played 100% of the plays on Sunday afternoon against the Buffalo Bills. He more than likely will do that again against Jacksonville. He's become an impact player for this defense early on in his career. And I said it going into the draft, with no first, no second, and picking at number 68, could the Texans find impact players in this draft? And I said, yes, this this draft does have some impact players will they find it'll be an impactful draft if they can find one starter from this group well Justin Reed has started Martinez Rankin has started at times Duke Ejiofor has been a huge contributor Kiki QT is starting Jordan Thomas has been starting when they start a couple of tight ends they've gotten a ton out of this class but it all started with Justin Reed and the final word this week is with Justin Reed Drew take it away
Thanks so much, fellas. We got Justin Reed, safety for the Houston Texans with us. And Justin, you played 100% of the defensive snaps last week. That's 62 in all. You also added 12 in on special teams. What's it been like steadily getting more and more playing time as a rookie? Oh, man, it feels great. Like, I love playing ball. I love being on the field, contributing to a team, win anything, any way that I can. So anything that my coaches ask me to do, I'm going to do it 100%. I'm going to put my best foot forward doing it. It's also got to be a lot of fun doing it the way you guys have done it the last two weeks. 16 points, 13 points allowed, consecutive spans there. You guys really clamped down to best running back in the league and then a really darn good one in LaShawn McCoy as well. Yeah, and we've done that two weeks in a row. I mean, we did a really good job containing Ezekiel Elliott, and then we did a good job containing LaShawn McCoy, and now we have another big test ahead of us this week playing T.J. Yeldon and Leonard Fournette and Jamal Charles. Leonard Fournette, somebody you know quite a bit about. You're from Louisiana. He, of course, is one of the greatest running backs of the last 50 years. What do you know about him from then, and what have you seen from him on tape? We know he might might not play this week, but you yeah. certainly have a lot of stories about him, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he's questionable to play this week, but the dude's a tank. I mean, you see it week in and week out, the type of things that he does. He loves lowering his shoulder and making a real physical statement. He does great things for their team in order to bring that physicality to their offense. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun to play against him. Like you said, I grew up watching him. I was in Louisiana when he played at LSU. I also remember watching T.J. Yeldon play for Alabama, especially in one of those big games that the LSU-Alabama rivalry always has. Yeah, when you have somebody like Fournette, it's kind of natural for people to forget. Yeldon's a pretty darn good back and has done some things as well. Yeah, he's a very talented guy, shifty. He's done big things throughout his career, and they have a really talented running back group over there. All right, I know you guys are wanting the big guys up front to do most of the tackling on those guys, so let's talk about the quarterback and Blake Bortles. Done some nice things. Took them to the AFC title game last year. The last two weeks have been a struggle for this bunch. Mm-hmm. What do you see from Bortles on film? Yeah, and they, they've been struggling with a little bit of an injury bug. But Bortles, I mean, one of the big things that really pops out is the guy can make some plays with his legs. Like if he sees the coverage break down and he sees an open lane in the rush lanes, he'll take off a run and he'll make 30, 45 yards on just a run play. So we got to do a great job containing him, keeping him in the pocket and making him pass the ball and not use his legs to beat us. That was exactly what we talked about in our keys to the game. Blake Bortles can really start to get his confidence when he gets his legs moving. When he is moving out of the pocket, whether it's zone reads or scrambles, one of the best things, as we mentioned, about Blake is a fact for Jaguars fans, of course, is that he has a good feel for when the pocket goes around him. When he sees defensive ends, when he drops in the pocket and defensive ends outside linebackers are rushing and he feels them above him, he is ready to get in and out of the pocket and go make something happen. And he picks up four or five yards. Sometimes, sometimes he picks up 15, 16 yards, and obviously that you don't want to have happen. But I remember when he was a rookie in 14, he almost got Jacksonville a W with a scramble doing that exact thing. But that's where his confidence comes from. And I think it's where a lot of quarterbacks' confidence comes from, is from just making a play, whether it's a throw, deep throw, short throw, whatever, make it a throw for a first down, or picking up another series of downs with their legs. That just gets them more confidence. So take that confidence away from Blake, if at all possible, by eliminating those run lanes. Get pressure on him clamp down that pocket and make him throw from the well. We talked about it with Josh Allen. It's a similar plan. Close the well in on Josh Allen. Now, the Texans did that pretty well, but then Allen would scoot up into the pocket and then out. Now, Allen's a little bit bigger than Blake, a little bit, not much, but same sort of running impact. 
if Clowney and Watt and Merciless and the guys rushing the outside go too high, he's going to sneak up and get out. The interior guys are going to have to know that. We talked about that in keys to the game, but Justin bringing that up there I think is a huge point. The players obviously are well aware of what Blake Bortles can do when he pulls the ball down and takes off with it. All right, we've had a great show. Got a lot of people to thank. I think Bill O'Brien, Mark Vandermeer, I think D.P. Sidhu, Whitney Merciless, Brian Gain, I think Lamar Miller, player reporter with Kareem Jackson is absolutely fantastic. And then, of course, Justin Reed with my man Drew Doherty. You guys are the best. Got a big one on Sunday. Kickoff will be at noon local. 9 o'clock pregame show starts with Mike Meltzer and Sean Pendergast. We'll have the postgame after the game with Sean Pendergast, Paul Gallant, and Cecil Shorts, who joined the crew last week. And I think he's absolutely fantastic. I should pop on from Jacksonville right after the game. So hopefully we're talking about a 4-3 football team named the Houston Texans and not named the Jacksonville Jaguars. It will be tough. It will be grueling. We've got two games in five days. That is as difficult as it gets. We did that last year against Jacksonville too. Played them in week one. Had turned around and played Cincinnati on a Thursday night. That was home and away. This one's away and home. Not sure which one's better, but that's the same situation. But tackle the matter at hand first. Take care of Jacksonville, and it won't be easy. The defending champs have lost two in a row badly. Their confidence is shaking a little bit. You got a little confidence on the Texans' side because they've won games. But you got to go down there and take care of business. They're banged up. Got a couple guys on this side banged up. But you got to go down there and just do what you need to do. That's it. That's all. And if you do that, not turn the ball over, take care of things defensively, don't let anybody behind you, Keep Blake Bortles in the well. You got a really good shot to win what could be an ugly game because you know Jacksonville is going to bring it defensively. But this one's going to be as fun as anyone the Texans have played all year long. Settle in. Get ready. Every play is going to be painful. But in the end, a victory is going to feel very, very sweet. We'll see you on Sunday. Have a great weekend and go Texans.